everybody. Welcome. This is Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. We're having a really special episode today. I'm not going to jump into why yet, but I will say good morning to my co-host, Pete Johnson. Hey, Pete. Hey, Ali. How you doing? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Um, anybody who's played the Cloud Unfiltered uh, podcast drinking game knows the passion that I have for serverless. And I've had a project that I've been working on the last nine months or so in the serverless on Kubernetes space, which sounds like an oxymoron, but I promise you it is not. Um, and our guest today has been my chief partner in crime on the open source project where we've spent a lot of time on this design pattern. Um, but by day, he's a rock star SE in the Cisco world, and I'll, I'll let you ask him some questions about that before we get into the, the project we've been working on, which is called Fonk, F-O-N-K. Um, Can you we'll tell me what, what those, yeah, well, well, okay, so it's so that the F is function as a service, the O is object storage, the N is NoSQL, and the K is Kubernetes. And it's a design pattern that you can use to build serverless web applications. And um, well, I'll let, you, I'll let you introduce our guest and we'll learn a little bit about him before we get into the details of sort of where that idea came from and what we've been doing with it and the different speaking engagements that we've had that uh, you can learn more about it. Awesome, thank you, Pete. Yeah, so the mystery guest today is um, kind of Pete's partner in Fonk, or certainly one of his close collaborators, I think, on this project. His name is Julio Gomez, and he is coming to us from Madrid, Spain, I believe, right? Good morning. Well, good evening, Julio. Absolutely. <laughs> good morning for you guys. Uh, thanks a lot for inviting me. Thanks a lot for having me in the show. It's a real pleasure. I've been, you know, just watching your episodes for a long time, and now suddenly I'm here, so it's quite uh, like an impression for me. So thanks a lot for that. So just to let the audience know who you are, Julio also works for Cisco. He's lead for pro he's the lead for programmability in our EMEA region. So, it, but what's interesting is that hasn't always been what you've done, right? You were more of a kind of dyed-in-the-wool Cisco CCIE kind of guy, right? Absolutely. I've been a Cisco veteran for the last 18 years. I joined in the year 2000, so I've been here for a long time. I've been going through, uh, you know, the usual uh, path that our Cisco SEs go through. Uh, so, been going into networking, um, did, did all the things about voice over IP, did uh, security, did basically all the different architectures, um, then went into service provider, but got my CCIA. So, basically, I've been, you know, just enjoying um, the, the usual classic networking stuff that we've been doing in Cisco. Go on the thing that's, that, that we are famous for. But then a couple of years ago, I it's something happened to me. And basically, I watched someone, I watched someone deliver a session that really, really impressed me. His name is Hank Preston, uh, one of the DevNet oh. uh, people. Yeah, and, and, and I was so impressed that, you know, just after the session, I decided that I needed to go into, in, into that. I needed to understand what he was talking about. I needed to replicate what he was doing because I saw that there was an immediate value for, my, for our customers and partners. So that's where everything started. And uh, yeah, two years later, you know, what was my night job, which was things that I was doing by night, you know, things that I enjoy, like programming and using APIs and going into Kubernetes and Docker, suddenly, you know, became my day job. And it was kind of a dream come true. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. So Hank is from DevNet, right? So what was he presenting about? He was presenting about um, microservices-based application and how it was scheduled by a, a product that we were working with at that time with Mesos, 
And um, yeah, it was so impressive the way that he was communicating, the way that he was presenting, but also the immediate value of what he was showing and how the line of business owners from our customers were using that language. And that th those were the challenges that they were facing. And we were still talking to the IT people. And it was like, wow, we are not talking to these guys because we don't understand what they are talking about. We don't understand the language of the challenges. And suddenly I'm starting to realize that I could learn that using these tools. So that's where everything started for me. Well, kudos to you, Julio. I mean, if you'd already been doing Cisco stuff and you were a network expert, most people would be comfortable to sit in that and be like, yeah, I'm a network expert. I don't, I don't really need to know anything else. And for you to say, I'm going to go explore this whole new, this new approach to our business and to our customers' needs, that's pretty awesome. So yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to do in my new role is to do exactly that. What Hank did in that session to me, excite the audience up to the point where they need to learn what you are showing them. You just gave me the perfect segue. So what are we exciting audiences about today, Pete? I'm going to let you go ahead and finish introducing Funk and, and talking about, you know, why all the items in that acronym are yeah. important and uh, what, what you mean by, you know, design patterns. So yeah, so if you've touched at all in the application development world in the last 20 years, you probably know the LAMP stack, L-A-M-P, right? Linux, Apache, MySQL, and, and either PHP or Python is typically what the P means. And I mean, there's lots of choices that app developers have when constructing application architectures. So how do you limit those choices to a, a couple of different combinations that make sense? And that's really what LAMP is. Um, now, Julio just talked about microservices-based applications. Among the first applications you typically deploy when you're learning that is the Kubernetes guestbook. It's 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 got it's a it's a very simple application that has a, a simple form and it, it's meant to mimic a guestbook that you might see at a wedding. So Ali walks up to the guestbook and signs her name. Julio walks up to the guestbook. He sees that Ali has signed and he signs his name, and I. I walk up the third person and I see what the first two people have written. I can do that as well. So it's a virtual version of that where if Ali, you load up your browser and you point it to the guestbook application and you write something and push the submit button. If I then go to that same URL, I would see what you wrote already and I would get to write something and so on and so forth. So are it's a very simple. Are most developers familiar with this? Like kind of this, the use of this guestbook? They are. It's kind of the hello world of the Kubernetes or microservices world. It's typically the first application you deploy while you're trying to learn what microservices are. Got it. Uh, so it's it's broken up into three different containers. Uh, one is responsible for serving up the HTML for the web UI that you see, and it sits behind a load balancer. And typically, you deploy three instances of that so that you can handle load. There's another container that handles writes to the database. And then there's another set of containers. You typically deploy two of them to deploy, to, to handle the reads from the database. So all each, each group of containers sits behind a load balancer so that you could update them with rolling updates without interrupting the service. And uh, you can individually, you can individually scale you know, if you had a bunch of people doing writes, maybe you add a second or a third uh, write container while that's going on and then scale it down later. So you can you can scale those three components independent of one another. So it, it's it's the typical, you know, day one, what's a microservice? Here's a very simple application that you deploy. And it's, and it's all, the individual containers are still based on that LAMP stack. 
that most of the internet in the late 90s and early 2000s was built on. So that, that's what we mean by, by design pattern. And, and really what we're doing with Fonk is building on top of that design pattern. Um, I guess, Julio, before I, I introduce a little bit more specifics about Fonk, you've got your own application that you've built for a hobby and you went down a microservices road and then you kind of went to a, to a serverless road, right? So why don't you talk about what that experience is like and what limitations you ran into? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of vintage guitars. I've, I've been uh, a guitar player for my whole life. I've been playing bands for my whole life. And then at some point I decided, I, I had an epiphany. I went into Google, I searched for something and it did not appear. Can you imagine that? I know that. For something in Google. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. And uh, at, some, at that point, I decided to create that, to create that. And I decided to do it in a website. So I created my website on vintage guitars from the 50s and so on. And, um, you know, when Lambda showed up, I'm an Amazon uh, architect as well. So I, I was really fluent on, on all the different services. And I was really excited about Lambda when it showed up. So I decided to implement my website there and, and see how it went. And I loved it. It was fantastic. And I really loved the, the, the way that you could work with your code and everything. The problem was that when I wanted to, you know, uh, move my code somewhere else, it was very, very difficult because I was so, I had such a lock in into their own setup, their way of doing things that I was not that happy. You know, I really had to stay with them. So at some point I decided I need to move away from there. And that's where I thought that uh, the idea of having an approach where you could have your microservices based application independent of the underlying infrastructure would be really cool. And serverless was bringing you the, cap the, the, the ability to just put your code out there and do it. Then at that point, I went to San Jose for a meeting and I meet Pete. <laughs> and I it, was it was like- It was like we got seated next to each other, right? Exactly, and it was really strange because I was reading about this guy everywhere. I was like, I, I know the guy from Clicker. I know, I know him. The name is familiar. It's like when you see an actor, it's like, I know, I know the name, I know the guy. Uh, but then suddenly I was with him there and, and Pete was kind enough as to share his ideas on how to, you know, maybe implement serverless on top of Kubernetes. And I came from a strong background on Kubernetes and I was like, man, I would love to contribute to, to what you are trying to do. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. So before you guys dive any deeper for any members of our audience who don't know what Lambda is, I know you, you mentioned it while you were explaining what you were using the first time to launch your site. What, what's Lambda? Yeah, uh, uh, Lambda is the first commercial approach that I know of uh, onto serverless. So the people from Amazon decided that uh, they wanted to offer the option to just provide your code and not having to manage any of the underlying infrastructure and then build you. So you only have to pay for the number of calls into your code. So that's kind of the ultimate Nirvana um, state for any kind of applications that you want to launch as a business. I'm only paying for the number of customers or the number of calls that my customer do to my code. So that's absolutely great. If I have great success, yeah, I will pay for those calls. But if I don't have any success at all, I will not pay a single dollar. So that's really, really attractive for a lot of businesses. And even for my own website, it was really attractive. And Lambda was implementation that uh, Amazon did for that first commercial product. After that, we have had um, um, other offerings from, you know, from companies like uh, Google or uh, Microsoft or many others. But the first one that I know of was Lambda. Very familiar. So you were enjoying Lambda at your sites up, but then you, you kind of hit the wall as far as that Nirvana you described. You run into Pete, you meet Pete. Pete, what happens next? Well, at about the same time, I had been advocating uh, Lambda and serverless both 
kind of with night job stuff and inside of Cisco, if you can imagine sitting up in front of a, a bunch of data center sales engineers and telling them how awesome serverless is. I've had that experience. And what, what I realized was, is that there was kind of a conceptual learning curve that people were struggling with. I, I saw a tweet about at about the time that I can't find now that said that serverless is a solution looking for a problem. And while that's not true, the fact that someone thinks it's true means that the serverless community isn't doing good enough job sort of giving people a hand to get in the boat with them. So I started to think, okay, what, what do people know? Well, people generally understand LAMP stacks and they understand Kubernetes guest book. So what, what if I just rebuilt the Kubernetes guest book using Lambda? What would that look like? Well, what that looks like is um, instead of having a container that does all your HTML generation and then connects back to your read and write containers, what that looks like instead is you have static HTML and JavaScript that would sit on object storage. So in Amazon speak, that's S3, which you can turn into a static website fairly easily. The user points their browser to that static HTML and loads the JavaScript, and the JavaScript then makes a set of REST API calls to API Gateway uh, to do, you know, like an HTTP GET or an HTTP POST. And what you can do in Lambda is with each of those verbs, you can have a different Lambda function execute when one of those verbs is requested. So if I'm doing the read, so if, if Ali, if you've already done, if you've already written something to the database and then I come in and I load the static HTML, the JavaScript will run and go call the API gateway with the get verb. The get verb will launch a Lambda instance of my function. That function will then talk to the backend DynamoDB in Amazon speak. And then it will take all that data that's already been written, in this case, your your message on the guest book and it would put it back and my browser would format it in a nice way. And the, the writes work in a similar way. So it's instead of having a container for the front end and two containers for doing reads and writes, it's uh, object storage to handle the static HTML content. It's an API gateway and uh, individual functions for the verbs of that gateway. And then it's some kind of NoSQL store in the background with DynamoDB. It, and when I did that, it was, a, it was a nice learning experience, but then I started to think about, well, this isn't very portable, the exact same thing that Julio ran into. So I thought, okay, is there a way to do this in a more open source way? And that's when I started to research, uh, there's an emerging set of function as a service runtimes that run on top of Kubernetes. Uh, and that's cha that changed in the six months that Julio and I did this research and came up with this. So. So what we, what we came up with was this idea of, okay, well, what if we rewrote the Kubernetes guest book as a serverless application on top of every one of the most popular function as a service for Kubernetes runtimes? What would that look like and what would we learn? So we learned a lot about how each of the individual function as a service runtimes operates on top of Kubernetes and how how some of them are a little bit more like native Docker and uh, some of them are a little more like, like Lambda. And so we could kind of, we would kind of have a litmus test that would, would help us compare the different frameworks against one another. So you could sort of see, well, what kind of experience do you want? If you want a more Docker-like experience, then you might choose 
framework A. If you wanted a more Lambda-like experience, you might choose framework B without kind of making judgments as to which one of those experiences is better, but just kind of taking, taking writing the code to, to learn what the intricacies of each individual one is and how each one works. And that's really what Thonk is. So it, it was originally intended to be like a lower the learning curve for serverless and it still does that, but then it also kind of turned into a, well, hey, if I'm writing the same application across all these, then we can start to make some statements that compare the different function as a service on Kubernetes. So does that make sense? It does. You So you set out to um, test the most popular function as a service runtimes or to, to write this code yes. to, to that. that all um, run on top you, Kubernetes, yes. So how did you identify which were the most popular and were you successful in doing that? In so, so the litmus test we came up with was 3,000 stars on GitHub. They're all open source projects. And that was the, the there's probably a dozen of them out there, but not all of them are, are as popular on GitHub. So that, that's what we used as the litmus test is which ones have 3,000 stars or more. And then we made one exception and it's gonna make be clear why we made that exception. And, and it changed while we were doing it. We had to add one while we were while we were doing it. And then there were three or four of us who were interested in this and each one of us grabbed a combination because each, each one of these function as a service runtime supports up to five different languages. So we kind of started with, okay, let's do it on Node and let's do it maybe on Python. And we kind of divvied up the work and we've got a bunch of functioning guestbook, serverless-based guestbook that then you can use as kind of a learning opportunity to learn these different function-as-a-service runtimes. So I've been kind of coy about which ones they are. Yes, you, you have. I was, trying to, I was trying to get you to fill <laughs> that. Okay, so I'm going to give these to you in the order that they're most like Lambda into the order that they're most like native uh, Kubernetes, okay? So the one that's most like Lambda is Apache OpenWhisk, and that one is sponsored by IBM. And, and there's kind of four, four key things that we measure here. Like, are you exposed to the Docker file? Are you exposed to the fact that there is or is not an image repository behind the scenes? Do you have to have a local Docker to compile images against? And, and does, the, does the framework provide a base image? OpenWhisk obscures all of those things from you. So you have no idea any of that stuff is under the hood, even though it is running on top of native Kubernetes. That is very uh, and fancy, the, and that you're saying that's most like Lambda. It is. It's the, the most like Lambda, and that shouldn't be a surprise because it's what IBM runs its function as a service on its public cloud. It's what they use for that. So that's, it's, it's kind of not a mistake that that's, that ends up being the most like Lambda. So the next one is called Kubeless, um, and it's, it's sponsored by uh, Bitnami, uh, which is kind of a, a late-stage startup. They, they still hide the Docker file. The Docker file is there, but they hide it from you. But you don't have to interact with any of the image repositories, local Docker, or the base images. The next one is called Fission, and that's also by a late-stage startup called Platform9. Uh, they completely hide the Docker file, the image repo, and the local Docker. Uh, but they do have a base image that you have to, have to pop into your Kubernetes cluster in order for that to all work. Um, then we start getting into some of the big boys. So there's a, a, a project that went live while we were doing, in the six months that we were doing this experiment called FN, the FN project. And it's sponsored by Oracle. 
Um, and they do hide the Docker file from you, but in creating your functions, you're very much exposed to the fact that there is an image repository. You do have to have a local Docker to compile your images, and they do have a base image involved. At least when I worked with it last time in the fall, I'm, I'm desperate to get back to try all these again six months later to see how they've advanced. But when we did this research concluding in the fall, that's that's what the status of this was. And, and can I interrupt you for one sec? So being yeah. exposed to those details, that's not necessarily desirable, right? Am I correct in understanding well, that? Well, it depends. It? It, it depends. I, I think Julio and I have had the experience that we prefer the more Lambda-like experience. But if you're somebody that's coming, if you've done a lot of native Kubernetes development, you feel like you might be losing some functionality and you still want access to it. Got so it. it really depends on your perspective yeah. and where you're coming it, from. Do you agree with that, Julio? Yeah, yeah, and in fact, it's funny because he, yeah, Pete was mentioning that this came up in during the process during those those six months that FN finally came up as a player, and it came from the fact that I was in a Docker meetup here locally in Madrid, and suddenly there were there was uh, people from Oracle, you know, just talking at the Docker event, and we we're like, what are they going to be talking about? And it's like, no, we are guys from Oracle, but we are doing just FN, and we were like overwhelmed, like, wow, this is great. And as Pete was saying, you know, it's great because you have visibility about what's happening, you know, under you know the implementation that they do, and that for Docker people, for Kubernetes people, it's great. So you know, each one has its own preference. Now, the next one on the list has the biggest following, and it's called OpenFAS, uh, O P E N F A A S. Um, and we actually have a contributor on the the dev the DevNet team, um, Jock, who's a contributor to OpenFast. And there's actually, if you go to the DevNet sandboxes, there's already OpenFast. There's a pre-installed OpenFast environment if you wanted to play with that one. Um, that one, uh, the founder is a guy named Alex Ellis, who's a just a freaking genius. And um, he was drawing a salary until recently from the open source group at VMware. But I just saw on Twitter in the last week or so that that he's he's moving on. So VMware had some influence over that, but it's not clear how much influence that one has so far. And, and that one's kind of the oldest of, of these, I would say, as well. Uh, and then you contrast that with the newest of them, which is the one we kind of made the exception for, although we actually didn't, I, we haven't yet built a Fonk example for it, and that's Knative from Google. So they announced that at Google Next last summer. And it's it's by far, as you would imagine, the most Kubernetes-like in, in its existence. And it's not, the, the weird thing about Knative is it's not clear whether, does Knative want to be a competitor of these other five or does it want to be the base framework that the other five use? And again, my, my research here on this is probably six months old because the, 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 the cycle that we did on this is, so we did all this research last summer into last fall and then we've kind of been in, okay, now that we learned all this stuff, let's turn around and let's do some talks about this. And so I've got one coming up at DevNet Create here in April, but Julio, you've already done a talk on this and you're about to do another one. What's your experience been with reaction of people when they, when they hear these concepts? Yeah, the, the first one that we, that the first time that we introduced Funk was during Code Motion. Code Motion is the biggest developer event here in Europe, and they do um, Italy, they do uh, Milan in Italy, they do uh, in Amsterdam, they do um, uh, the Netherlands, they also do uh, Madrid here in Spain. And for the one in Madrid, I proposed a talk, and it was accepted. Um, I gotta tell you, if you take a look at the photos and the video recording, uh, we had this huge uh, auditorium, and it was completely full. 
with people that really thought that it was interesting. The funny note there is that at the same time that I was delivering my talk on the on the on the uh, room next to me, it was um, there was a session with the creator of this game called Doom, and the, the creator was playing Doom next to me, and people still wanted to come see me, and I was like, I would have gone the other the other, the other place, right? But. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was it was good, and um, the feedback that we got, and you can see the reaction uh, during the recording, is that people were uh, really really excited about it, really interested in what we were trying to do there. There were some some questions that I hadn't even thought about, like for example, there was a guy asking, "Hey, why why would I why would I do this on Kubernetes? I, I would have to buy a Kubernetes cluster for this." And it's like, well, that, that is not the point. You're not going to buy a Kubernetes cluster, you know, the hardware and everything, and then only to run serverless. That we take for granted that you have a Kubernetes cluster and you are using it for many other things. So the beauty of this is that you will be able to implement, you know, serverless on top of the, the already existing Kubernetes implementation. But um, yeah, there, there were a ton of questions. Uh, people were really interested. Uh, people tend to like the fact that this is not related to a company. So it's just a Cisco employee delivering this message, but it's not explicitly pre preaching, you know, a Cisco product but rather how you can implement this on top of whatever Kubernetes implementation. The linkage that I do into Cisco is that we use our own sandbox. We use our own environment you know, to test it out. And we also offer the capability to our customers or you know, interested parties to use that same kind of setup. And that is very valuable for them because probably they don't have a Kubernetes cluster to play with. And or maybe they, they they could just mess it up. So here we are offering also the option them the option to you know implement it there and play around with it. I didn't know we had a sandbox set up. Is that so? So publicly, uh, people could access that right yeah. now. Yeah. So if if you just go to devnet, you know, developer.cisco.com and go and find the devnet sandbox there. There's so I I do all my development for this on top of CCP, the Cisco Container Platform, and we've got instructions on. The, the repo. So if, if you wanted to try this out, if you go to funk-apps.io, that's the that's kind of the marketing web page. And then there's a link there to the GitHub repo where it's got all the code and the walkthrough examples and so forth on that. And yeah, I mean, when we show this, we do, you could do it on top of any Kubernetes cluster, as Julio just said, but, but we tend to do the work on top of a Cisco container platform cluster because I mean, the cool thing about that is with DevNet, you can get you can get at least six hours of a DevNet of a CCP cluster for free, and depending, nice. you know, and you can you can extend that as well. So it doesn't cost you anything to try it, and it gives you gives you some exposure to what Cisco is doing in containers, and then also exposes you to this larger effort going on with serverless on top of Kubernetes. Now, one, one thing, Julio, I think, I can't remember whether you were on the video link when I presented this internally back in, in, in November, but one of the things I like to talk about with the, well, why would I do this on top of Kubernetes? If you think about, so, so guestbook, you've got three, three services or load balancers is the other way to think about that. And you've got nine, nine pods or containers, that that's the footprint of that application. Well, if I had 10 of those, now that's 30 services and 90 pods that I have to manage in some way or that somebody has to manage in some way. Well, if you're using, let's just say OpenWhisk, OpenWhisk to, to, to operate OpenWhisk is somewhere on the order of, of 10 containers 
and, and five or six services or load balancers for different things. And that, that number isn't going to increase regardless of how many applications you have on top of it. So from an IT ops perspective, you might want to do this because it's going to reduce the burden that you have of managing Kubernetes because you're ultimately going to have fewer containers and services to manage in aggregate across all your different applications. For an individual application, yeah, it's, it's a give and take. You can make an argument about developer productivity and not having to learn Docker files and those sorts of things. But from an IT ops perspective, on an individual an individual application basis, yeah, maybe this isn't a good idea. But if you look across the aggregate, if I'm managing ten microservices applications or a hundred microservices applications, how can I how can I make it so that I can lower the number you know lower that number of containers I'm having to manage? And this is one way to do that. Nice, yeah. So I you know I went and I looked at the video on on the website, and and what I walked away from is you know as why this would be interesting is first off you're sharing resources. Uh, there's less wasted time, right? Yeah. You're talking about how you know 100 milliseconds, most of it isn't being used. Less code and config, smaller attack surface. I think that's interesting, and fewer containers to manage. Yeah, Is you that got correct? it. The video I, worked. Woohoo! The video worked. <laughs> you, you, you helped the marketing gal understand what the heck uh, value. And now you got that song stuck in your head all day, right? Yes, that, that is the best part. Very <laughs> intentionally. I, I won't. I. So I, I won't divulge what it is, and you have to go listen to it yourself. But I was inspired by, as weird as this sounds, so that song is featured in the Guardians of the Galaxy ride at Disney's California Adventure is where they <laughs> from. And if you know Pete, you know he loves Disney. He's been on that ride. <laughs> Guaranteed. I haven't. I live in Southern California. Pete lives in Michigan. Uh, my kids, I have never taken them to Disneyland. As far as they're concerned, it's important. They I'm don't really sure believe they, that it exists. They can take your kids away from you in California for that, can't they? <laughs> I mean, literally, we live two hours from it. We can we can get in the car and be there by, before lunchtime today, and we do not go. So it's so funny. Well, and, and I guess to be clear, this is a learning and it's a science experiment at this point, right? It's it's in five years, we're not going to have six Kubernetes, you know, function as a service on top of Kubernetes. Like we're going to see some contraction in this, but, but we don't know who the winners are going to be at this point. I mean, typically, you know, it's, it's not always people with the most funding that win, but that's often the case. But in this case, you know, we just, we wanted a way to sort of measure the experience in a consistent way across all these things and, and kind of have, have a way to talk about it in a constructive way without, without judgment and see where it goes. And like I said, we, we went through this, this first cycle of let's experiment, now let's talk about it. And, and I think here, because Huli and I are, are going to work together on, on something else together in our day jobs here pretty soon, I think we'll probably, when we get to the summer, Hit another, you know, refresh on the the research part of this, and, and have some new things to talk about for fall. But so, Julio, you've got another talk coming up, right? I've got DevNet creating in April, and you've got another one coming up here even sooner than that, right? Yeah, it's next week. Next week, I will be in Pixels Camp, which is another international event for developers. So, um, yeah, I will be delivering my talk on uh, on this uh, on this specific topic. I would like to introduce also some concepts of what I did with Val uh, for Cisco Live. We okay. did that for oh, hours, yeah. tutorial. That was yeah, cool. Yeah, which is really, really cool. We were working like hell on creating something meaningful. So, you, so, so, you know, for for our testing and for the community that, you know, Pete uh, is driving, 
it's great to have this uh, foundation, uh, this foundational application like guestbook or you know basic applications that show and demonstrate how you can get started. But we also wanted to go to the other side, and we wanted to show how what you can really build, you know, using functions. Um, so we decided to create a real application based on how you can do object recognition on images. So basically, you can upload a photo of your family, and it will take it will tell you how many people is in the photo, how many dogs, or how many bicycles. So uh, instead of doing that, the usual way, which would be okay, you go into uh, um, a service offered by Google or whoever, and then they do the hard work for you. We decided to do everything on-premises with serverless and Kubernetes, train the model ourselves with TensorFlow, and make it happen locally. So uh, by the end of the tutorial, people attending the tutorial were leaving with a real application built yeah. that they could take home. So I'm, I'm going to try and, and extract some of the content that we did there. Obviously, it was a four-hour tutorial, and I'm going into a 50-minute session using Pixels Camp. But I think it's really cool to demonstrate what can be done so that people ha can have a real vision of what can be accomplished with what they are starting right now. So just to be clear, you guys, this isn't something Cisco's selling in any way. No. I mean, one of the cool things culturally, culturally about Cisco is, I mean, it's, it's not written down like it is at, at Google where you get 20% time, right? But you, you are encouraged to experiment and go try to find new things. And that's, that's what Julio and I are doing here. Um, nice. Right? I mean. So it's your professional side hustle. It's, that's exactly what it is. That's that's a good way to put it. And it's you know it's it's the kind of thing where we can justify it to our managers because this you know after microservices serverless is, is kind of the next natural extension to the way application architecture is going to be done. And it's not that all application architectures will be done with serverless. Just like you know people are still running COBOL and bare metal and you know in banks all over the world and. You know the world doesn't end every day because we have that, but you know there, there's there's constantly evolving new things, and you need people in a company who of this size that have the flexibility to go learn and, and experiment and fail and succeed and and do those kind of things. And and Julio and I are, are fortunate enough that we've got a management that supports that kind of stuff for us. And and yeah, so thinking of it as our side hustle is is absolutely the right way to think of it. Um, but in, in this case, it's a side hustle that has some relevance to the Cisco Container Platform product and by extension, the UCS product and, and the, uh, the Hyperflex products on top of which CCP runs. So that's kind of how we can justify spending time with it is it's, you know, it, it ultimately can benefit, can, can benefit CCP, Hyperflex, and UCS. And, but I even mean, if it doesn't, it's just benefiting anybody who's trying to, well, sure. to create serverless environments and use them. Right. Yeah, nice. and, and, and it really helps when the person that you work with, it's a big guy like Pete, you know, it's not the same saying I'm, I'm working with this guy that I'm working with this principal, you know, he's a big guy, he knows his staff. Do it's you mean physically large or really important? Well, I think he probably <laughs> needs <of> them. <laughs> well, come on. So, dude, you, you've been you've been working here for 18 years. You look like you're barely 18 years old, for starters, right? <laughs> you always make me feel old whenever I'm in a room with you. And if you go try to watch that code motion, spoiler alert, it's all in Spanish because my man Julio <laughs> speaks, speaks two languages better than I speak one. So. <laughs> And for those of you who are listening to this and not viewing, I don't, although I don't think you can tell when you're watching either, Pete is both a big deal and a big human being. 
I, so, I'm, I'm 6'6", I go 265 right now. So There we go. That's a big human being. <laughs> Definitely. We, you guys, we're running out of time here. Um, anything else that the audience should know about Funk before we wrap it up? No, I, I think, you know, just that it's, we're, we're still, it, it's an experiment. It's, uh, it's a, a way to have a conversation about where microservices and serverless are going. And, you know, it's, it's fonk-apps.io if you want to want to get started with it or start to play with it. Uh, and we've got, we've got stuff going on at DevNet Create at uh, this talk that Julio has next week. Um, I, we still have to get our heads together for what we're doing for Cisco Live, uh, but I, I at least have my serverless 101 talk is going to be in the DevNet zone at Cisco Live here in June as well. So lots of opportunities to, to see it live and to learn about it. Nice. My non-Fonk um, related Cisco uh, closing question is for you, Julio. Um, everybody should know that in addition to having a professional side hustle working on Fonk, Julio has a non-professional side hustle which is apparently some very, very large vintage guitar community. Am I describing that correctly, Julio? Tell me what that's all about. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's kind of my project. Uh, I, I started it in 2003 after the epiphany of not finding something in Google. Uh, so I decided to create it myself. And as of today, um, the website has 6 million visits. It's very, very big. It's referenced uh, all across the world. I'm invited to vintage guitar shows. Every year I go to Dallas for the Arlington Vintage Guitar Show. And uh, yeah, I really love it. And uh, it's my way to give back to the community. It's very much in line with this open source mentality that we all have in this world. So it's the same approach, but, you know, for other area, in my case, vintage guitars. So but really proud of it. And, the site and, and, and how many members are there? Uh, it, it's not uh, about membership, but more about visits because I don't close it to anyone. Everyone oh, okay. can visit and have access to all the information. And the name of the site is burstserial.com, like in sunbursts, burstserial.com. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really a freaky thing. It, it, it focuses only on information about a specific model of guitar that was built in three years, 58, 59, and 60. Wow. So that's what you searched on Google and you got no results for. Exactly. Nothing existed on that. So I decided to go for it. Does your page come up pretty high in the Google results now? <laughs> if you parade, I mean, you will find it. It's very, very easy. I'm basically everywhere. It's, it's surprising. I didn't think that anybody would be interested in, in checking it out. But yeah. That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. Well, cool. So you got a side hustle on your side hustle. So exactly. Julio, thank you for, for joining us today. I know you got you to gotta get out of here. You're in a different time zone. Uh, thank you, Pete. I've, I've been dying to talk with you about this project. I know it's your it's your passion. And um, so I, I'm glad you guys came on to, to help share it with the listeners. Because gosh, if this isn't relevant to this audience, uh, I don't know what is. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much. Have a great day, you guys. And we'll talk uh, we'll talk again soon. Bye now. Thanks a lot for having Bye -bye. me. Bye-bye. Talk to you very soon. Ciao, ciao.